Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being's Unheard Cuts. Up next, my unedited conversation with biographer Arnold Rampersad. There is a shorter, produced version of this wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Hi, this is Krista Tippett. Hi, this is Arnold Rampersad. Hello. Thank you so much for doing this. <clears throat> my pleasure. Um, I'll just to tell you a little bit before we get going, just... Um, I think Lily may have already explained this, but we 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 have had this uh, funding from the National Endowment for the Humanities, and we've done a series uh-huh. of shows over the last few years. Um, and the idea is to take uh, historical figures um, and and not not do a biographical treatment, but at, and you know to uh, to bring their memory into the present to explore. Um, you know what their legacy and ideas might mean, and how they might resonate in lives today. Um, so that's the spirit in which I want to conduct this uh, conversation with you. And I really love your your book about Du Bois. It's wonderful. Good, thank yeah. you. So, um, yes. Would you say your name uh, for me again? I just want to make sure that I say it correctly. When we, how, how do you say? Rampersad. Uh, Rampersad. Okay. Yes. So, sorry, Chris, what were you asking? Just, oh, tell, uh, tell me something mundane like what you had for breakfast. Uh, breakfast, oatmeal, a uh, cup of tea, and, uh, and that was about it. No, nothing <laughs> okay. special. No eggs and no nothing like that. Okay. Is that, <clears throat> Chris, are you good? Okay. Well, why don't we just plunge in? Um, uh, do you have any questions for me before we start? Uh, no, I'm a little bit vague about where you know the interview um, is going to take me. I thought it was going to uh, emphasize spirituality, but uh, you know, but it's fine. I I I think I can follow well, follow as much as I as you know as, yeah, well as I can. Yeah, no, it, I I I want to I want to get into that insofar as <clears> I think that's an. Imp- Important piece of who he was, uh-huh. um, okay. but I don't think it's emphasized in a lot of the of what's written about him or how he's remembered. But we'll just kind of get to that organically. Okay. Um, One other question is: uh, yes. um, I, I'm not the I will not be the only person, no, quote unquote expert um, no. interviewed on Du Bois. No, we're doing Great. a number of people. Um, Great. Yeah, Great. In, including um, Elizabeth Alexander, the poet who's written about the souls of black folk, and um, it's it's going to be uh-huh. a, a good array of people. Also, some. Um, uh, Whitney Battle Baptiste, who's a, an anthropologist, archaeologist who works with the Du Bois uh, archive. So it's uh, a range of people. Yeah, wonderful. yeah. Ex- so you, and you, so you don't have to have all the <laughs> all the pieces either. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> and you can oh, feel free at any time to say that's not what I know about. But I, 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 I okay. you know, I really want to. But but what, as I said, um, what I'm interested in is not just you know the facts about this person, but how. Um, he and his ideas kind of ha- yes, have echoes yes, in modern life. Course, so I'm curious just to start with, um, you know, how and when did you first become aware of W.B.E. Du Bois, W.E.B. Du Bois? I became aware of W.B. Du Bois uh, in in graduate school, I think, um, which was a long time ago, in uh, between 1968 and, um, and uh, 1972, uh, that's when I first read The Souls of Black Folk and it, uh, Du Bois's book from 1903, and it had a p- very powerful effect on me. Um, and then when I started reading what people had written about Du Bois, um, I, I didn't think that they fully appreciated the uh, depth and, and, and breadth of, uh, of his intelligence, his sensibility, his imagination. Mm. Now, that was presumptuous of me. Um, But it did give me a kind of push uh, when I decided I would would 
devote my doctoral dissertation to to Du Bois, especially to his creative work, uh, and then later on um, expanded that uh, dissertation to do a kind of intellectual biography of uh, of Du Bois entirely. Yeah. Uh, so that's when that's when I got to to know and love uh, Du Bois. And is it right that you grew up in Trinidad and Tobago? I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago, uh-huh. yes. I came to this country when I was in my mid-twenties okay. to go to college. And um, before then, I'd never heard of Du Bois. And even in Ohio, where I went to undergraduate school, uh, in, at that time, between 1965 and 1968, there were no books by African Americans on any syllabus that I, um, you know, that I was exposed to. Um, it all came... Um, when I got to uh, to, to graduate school in in the fall of 1968. Right. I mean, you wrote that in one of the introductions to to in an introduction to one of the editions to your to your biography of him that before you decided to take on Du Bois as part of your dissertation, you I think you'd wrote you'd never encountered a single book by a black writer on the syllabus of any course I had taken while earning four university degrees. Pretty stunning. Right, right. Uh, the first time I encountered, uh, had to deal with uh, books uh, by black writers uh, was when I was asked to be a teaching assistant in a course, a pioneering course taught by Roger Rosenblatt um, at my university in, I think, the fall of 1969. Huh. And... Um you know, you and others de- describe Du Bois as, you know, the preeminent mind in black American intellectual history. You know, some say the, perhaps the greatest black intellectual in American history. Um, and yet he's much less well-remembered than other people you've written about, like Langston Hughes or Ralph Ellison, I think, or, or certainly, you know, Martin Luther King. Um, what, what would you... How would you want to start by talking about how we might, how the memory and the ideas of this man might speak to us today? You know, where would you begin with that reflection? Well, one thing I would uh, reserve um, following on your statement is that uh, Ralph Ellison, for one, um, had no respect really for Du Bois as an, huh. as an intellectual. Um, he was suspicious of sociologists, and Du Bois was, uh, uh, became a propagandist, as he called himself. Uh, but his major training early in life was in history and in sociology, empirical sociology. Um, so not everyone um, admires Du Bois's work. Um, the Souls of Black Folk was a transformative volume. Um, it had a, an incredible impact on uh, the generation of, of, of uh, young black writers who came into their own in the 1920s and 30s, and the influence continued into the 40s and 50s. But at some point, you have to say, um, the influence began to, you know, to, to, to drop off. Um, there are aspects of the souls of black folk that are dated, uh, the language in places is Victorian. Yeah. The sensibility is is um, is uh, I wouldn't dare to call it precious, but um, it is emotional. Um, and uh, eventually, I think um, the world changed. The United States changed. Um, I think, to me, you know, the book remains a, f- a wonderful book. Um, but I'm not surprised that subsequent generations have not been as entranced as we were back then. You know, you write a lot about him as a mass of paradoxes. Um, And, you know, here's one way you wrote it. Product of black and white, poverty and privilege, love and hate. He was of New England and the South, an alien and an American, a provincial and a cosmopolite, nationalist and communist, Victorian and modern. Um, I I, I think that there's something in his kind of multiracial, multicultural heritage and that line that he walked all of his life that almost seems that 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 actually seems to belong in some ways more to our time than it did to his. It's it's hard to imagine how, read you know reading him, e- even though some of what he's writing about is dated. It's hard to it's it's it, he doesn't belong. <laughs> um, do you know Do you know what I'm describing that? 
Oh, yes, I, I do know what you're describing, and uh, I think you're quite right that his, uh, in many respects, his his dilemma, his his, his agenda, his, um, his passions, um, his sensibility, uh, all of those things are very much at home in our in our world. Yeah. It's simply that the documents he left behind, you know, the essays he wrote and so on, belong to another period for the, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that um, you can turn your your back on him only if you're you're determined to turn your back on on history, on an understanding of the past, uh, and also on on a mind his. Um, you know that seized on the the the, the problem of uh, blackness in a, in America, the problem of race in America and in the modern world, because he did say uh, famously that the problem of the 20th century is a problem of the color line. Right. Um, so he he had a grasp of um, of uh, uh, you know of the, of the real world in front of him, and he anticipated our own time. No doubt about that. You you also wrote that he had the soul of a poet and the intellect of a scientist. And there's something quite moving in his writing. Um, I mean, it, again, to think about him being being out of, not belonging in his time. I mean, what an audacious thing it was to be have such a fierce intellect as a black man in his age. And there, there's this wonderful passage, um, and you quote this in your biography too, where he you know, it's almost you get the feeling, this was in this chapter called On the Training of Black Men. You get this sense that the life of the mind was, in, in, you know, in, a, it par- in some sense helped him transcend this, as he said, this problem, being a problem as a black man. He's, you know, he wrote, I sit with Shakespeare and he wins, he wins is not across the color line. I move arm in arm with Balzac and Dumas. I summon Aristotle and Aurelius and what soul I will, and they come all graciously with no scorn nor condescension. So wed with truth, I dwell above the veil. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Is this the life you grudge us, O knightly America? Is this the life you long to change into the dull red hideousness of Georgia? Are you so afraid lest, peering from this high pisgah, between Philistine and Malachite, we sight the promised land. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Well, it, it, the his training was was really quite remarkable, and his sensibility also remarkable. I mean, he did have the soul of a poet, um, but also the capacities, uh, the. Ob- objective capacities of the scientist you know when he was um, taught history and when he wrote his doctoral dissertation and he in was the after all history. the first african-american to get a doctoral degree from harvard right um so i no. think so yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> all right okay yeah. <laughs> not, yeah. Yeah, I, I believe so mm-hmm. um but um i'm not 100 percent 100 percent certain mm-hmm. uh, but he was trained in history in a very severe uh sort of way um where you know the truth could be arrived at uh, facts were extraordinarily important the um the uh, feelings of the historian were to be suppressed. Uh, objectivity was the goal, and the same thing was true uh, when he went on as a young man to tra- to be trained in empirical sociology, uh, statistics, uh, come to conclusions, but make sure that those conclusions are not in any way biased by your. Uh, feelings, your prejudices, whatever. Um, And it took him a long time uh, to realize that uh, he couldn't live that way, Um, that he had to, in fact, draw on his inner emotional resources that were themselves shaped by, you know, his life experience, the world about him, uh, his his interest in his fascination with language. Um, And then he he, he moved away from those uh, sort of commanding disciplines, demanding disciplines into, uh, uh, you know, a much looser, much more creative um, world that was also demanding, but in a very different way. So, so one of the things that started to intrigue me as I began to, um, in the first instance, um, get a sense of how he's understood academically is... Um, 
his his legacy seems and his intellect seem to be very secularized um, in a lot of the ways he's written about and interpreted. Um, you know, and it, it to me it it also kind of parallels the way um, King's very deep and primary grounding in theology and religion was kind of secularized. He became after his death a political figure primarily and a preacher second, and of course the order was reversed. Now Du Bois obviously had a complicated relationship both to to black churches and to um, and to Christ, white Christianity to Christianity in general. But it seems to me that to not take seriously, to not use the word spiritual or, you know, and flesh that out in his, in his life and legacy is, is to miss a lot of the power of what he did. And, and you do name this in your biography. So I, I just wanted to kind of understand how you think about um, that spiritual sensibility. And he, I mean, let's just start with when he, you know, when he uses the word soul, the soul black folk. Um, what does he mean by the word soul? Well, that's a very good question, and um, it's uh, perhaps not what a medieval, um, you know, yeah. penitent would have meant by the word soul. It has something to do with consciousness, uh, sort of psychologically determined uh, consciousness. Um, so, I mean, he's aware that he's describing something, or he's attempting to identify something that is. Uh, almost impossible to 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 pin down, um, but still, when he, if you think about it, he is he's saying that you know there is this essence in us that is a combination of uh, a will to uh, the spirit, um, our our past, our experiences, um, our awareness of uh, ourselves, our awareness of the world. Um, but it is something that you have to. Um, to zero in on, finally, if you want to be able uh, to evaluate uh, an individual or the culture from which that individual comes. Um, so, so he talks again and again in The Souls of Black Folk about that time, about at the dawn of the 20th century, about the business of the soul and about divided souls, there being an mm -hmm. American soul and an African soul yeah. within the, 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 the African-American and how they are at war with one another and how they, because they have different origins almost and different goals and are subjected to different forces, um, and that the essence of black life is a kind of... Uh, often heroic, uh, sometimes disastrous struggle to to reconcile these two souls. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, and he uses kind of biblically evocative language. Also, I I have been in the world and not of it, right? That kind of gospel language. Um, he does use gospel language, even though um, I don't think he was uh, one to you know, to listen to many sermons. No. <laughs> one of the famous <laughs> incidents early in his uh, teaching career, I think it was at Wilberforce, he, he wrote about it quite snappishly and obviously proudly, was when uh, this was a religious school and um, someone, no doubt the president, announced that Professor Du Bois would lead the, the, the body, the student body and faculty in prayer. And... Uh, Du Bois said, uh, Professor Du Bois will not, and, yeah. <laughs> and sort of walked out of the hall, of the hall because he had, uh, he had, a, you know, he had uh, a limited regard for organized religion at that time. That's for sure. It's interesting. Um, I mean, he was he was appalled, and 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 there was kind of a there was a um, a righteous indignation, I would say, at. At Christianity and churches not living up to their own ideals, you know, in some ways, uh, I, I can't remember where it is, but he he talks about, or writes about how you know, and I don't know if he says this precisely, you know, that Jesus would not. He reminds me of young people now who are rejecting churches and who say things like, you know, Jesus would not recognize himself in the churches I grew up in. And and that that you know that kind of seems like a message that comes through from Du Bois um, as well in his yes, own I, way in his own time. 
Yes, I mean, I think that he interrogated uh, Christianity as Christianity uh, was being practiced across America, and he basically found it profoundly wanting. I mean, he saw he saw hypocrisy more than yeah. than uh, Christianity. Of course, he's not the only person to um, to look at the, at the practice of Christianity and other forms of religion, but Christianity is what we're talking about, yeah. and find hypocrisy entrenched uh, to find. Uh, racism, injustice, supported by an apparatus of, uh, of organized religion, in uh, in ways that are you know profoundly dangerous, uh, damaging, and 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 uh, ultimately disastrous. So he was continually um, grappling with uh, with the limitations of uh, organized religion. Yeah. But on the other hand, um, he did believe. Of, uh, of of African Americans, he certainly believed around 1903 when he published *The Souls of Black Folk*, uh, that in dealing with uh, that body of people, you're dealing with people to, for whom, although they have gone one way or another, and they are have have, um, um, have in some instances lost their way, that that, that you're dealing with somebody with a, with a group, a, a community, a people for whom spirituality is an essential matter the business of belief of faith and of acting on faith is a is an essential matter and that there's no understanding um, black culture without understanding that at its core uh, there was this uh, fund of uh, of spirituality uh, that needed to be directed and channeled perhaps but was was always there and it seems to me that you know very profoundly mm, what he's doing in a lot of his writing, and and certainly in the souls of black folks, is is making us a, a, a kind of a, a, a spiritual diagnosis of the problem of racism, um, both for black people and and white people, um, and and while he is examining racism and you know American history and the the disappointing aftermath of Reconstruction, um, you know, he, he's also he's also kind of trying to shine a light on the spiritual, the deep spiritual significance of the issue of race um, for human beings. He certainly is uh, is, is doing that. Um, uh, he turns away from from history and sociology. As um, you know, as, as central to to his uh, to his life, uh, towards looser forms that he called, as I think I said before, propaganda, yeah. um, because he wanted to get, to to get into these other issues, um, but notably, I think the business of justice and conscience, yeah. um, and um, and the spirits and spirituality. Uh, of ultimate uh, sense of ultimate purpose in in life that uh, uh, was above uh, you know the merely economic or the political. Uh, he certainly wanted to uh, to take the discussion, as it were, in in that direction because he believed that that was uh, its essence, really. Yeah, I mean, here's this um, just the opening lines of um, the Souls of Black Folk when he this is. Um, Sorry, of you know the time. This is why it's hard for me to believe that somebody could write a biography of him and not use you know speak of spirituality when the, the even the first chapter of Souls of Black Folks is of our spiritual strivings and and he writes between me and the other world there is an ever unasked question unasked by some through feelings of delicacy by others through the difficulty of rightly framing it. All nevertheless flutter around it. They approach me in a half-hesitant sort of way, eye me curiously or compassionately. And then instead of saying directly, how does it feel to be a problem? They say, I know an excellent colored man in my town, or I fought at Mechanicsville, or do not these southern outrages make your blood boil? At these I smile, or am interested, or reduce the boiling to a simmer as the occasion may require. To the real question, how does it feel to be a problem? I answer seldom a word. Which is really putting the issue of race in an, in an existential context. 
Yes, I like the um, uh, the the rest of the paragraph, or, mm. or perhaps the bulk of the the next paragraph. Well, would you like to read of, some of that? Well, I I, I could. I mean, he, it's it's important. Yeah. He, for the first time, he encounters racial prejudice when a, a tall newcomer, a girl in his class, refuses um, to take part in, in a little game that uh, that everyone was was playing then it dawned upon me with a certain suddenness that i was different from the others or like mayhap in heart and life and longing but shut out from their world by a vast veil i had thereafter no desire to tear down that veil to creep through i held all beyond it in common contempt and lived above it in a region of blue sky and great wandering shadows that sky was bluest when I could beat my mates at examination time or beat them at a foot race or even beat their stringy heads. Alas, with the years, all this fine contempt began to fade for the worlds I longed for and all their dazzling opportunities were theirs, not mine. But they should not keep uh, these prizes, I said. Some, all, I, I would rest from them just healing the sick by, by, by telling the wonderful tales that swam in my head. Some way, with other black boys, the strife was not so fiercely sunny. Their youth shrunk into tasteless sycophancy or into silent hatred of the pale world about them and mocking distrust of everything white or wasted itself in a bitter cry. Why did God make me an outcast and a stranger in mine own house? The shades of the prison house closed round about us all. Walls straight and stubborn to the whitest, but relentlessly narrow, tall, and unscalable to sons of night who must plod darkly on in resignation or beat unavailing palms against the stone or steadily, half-hopelessly watch the streak of blue above. Yeah. And it's after that that uh, that burst or that whatever you want to call it that he l launches into his discussion of uh, of the divided souls, the twin warring souls of the African American, um, and how blacks have no true self consciousness, um, but always see themselves through the eyes yeah. of whites, basically, um, and how how impossible almost that is to. You know, to to have such a situation and to be able to become fully human, really. Yes, and what is so striking to me about that is how resonant it is. I mean, he was he was looking at a world post Civil War, when there had been, in some ways, monumental efforts made um, to create, well, certainly to create liberty that wasn't there before. Um, and but he was looking at uh, the the also the the lingering f the 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 very deep failure of that at the same time, um, the the unfinished business of reconstruction, and it seems to me that a century later, having you know having had the civil rights movement, which was really taking off as he died. Something that we're pondering deeply is the unfinished business of civil rights, and it's—I mean—it's very stunning to me uh, that that the the human dilemmas and the lingering effects that he names in that passage of, you know, deep discouragement of of a problem of crime, you know, of, of a lack of equity, of a lack of opportunity, um, of you know, liberty without justice. Um, those are things we're pondering now um, in a somewhat different context. But it, it feels to me like his voice is very wise to, oh, yes, for I our situation now, and, and especially on this kind of thinking. I think he is wise, and I think that uh, his analysis of, um, of, of the dilemma facing blacks um, when they all have to take into consideration when they come up against uh, racism, um, it, when they come up against the entrenched injustice that uh, I think African Americans face on on a daily basis, his analysis, um, you know, was first put forward uh, circa 1900, but really in 2014 
um, it still has enormous uh, resonance yes. because the basic factors remain remain the same, really. The question is whether you you sink into sycophancy uh, or you uh, express yourself in in outrage um, that really destroys your 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 personality um, at some point. Uh, certainly um, wreaks havoc on it. Um, how how do you, you know, how do you maintain sanity? How do you become productive? How do you uh, how do you realize your complete potential as a human being uh, when you are constantly dealing with um, something that seems almost um, uh, undefeatable? You know? Yeah, I, I'm curious about um, if there are other passages, readings, ideas that that you. Um, brought with you that you'd want to just read or discuss? I'm curious about what seems really important to you in him now. Well, I've always, um, one place, uh, one um, moment in the souls of black folk um, I, I have uh, always uh, cherished. And, <clears throat> and um, it's in of the passing of the firstborn, mm-hmm. uh, where Du Bois is talking about the death of his young infant, not infant, but uh, uh, his son, uh, in um, 1899, um, and he, and there he, you know, he wrestles with the whole question of belief in God uh, or or not, um, uh, fate, uh, race. Um, in, a, in, a, in a very elementary way, clearly he is profoundly um, grieved by, uh, by, by, by what has happened. Um, and there's a paragraph that, um, that I, I come back to again and again because it sums up um, his intellectual and his emotional uh, response to this, this, this tragedy. Mm. He says, a, a perfect life was his. Uh, his sons, all joy and love with tears to make it brighter, sweet as a summer's day beside uh, beside the Housatonic. The world loved him, the women kissed his curls, the men looked gravely into his wonderful eyes, and the children hovered and fluttered about him. I can see him now changing like the sky from sparkling laughter to darkening frowns, and then to wandering thoughtfulness as he watched the world. He knew no color line, poor dear, and the veil, though it shadowed him, had not yet darkened half his sun. He loved the white matron, he loved his black nurse, and in his little world walked souls alone, uncolored and unclothed. I, yea, all men are larger and purer by the infinite breath of that one little life. She who in simple clearness of vision sees beyond the stars said when he had flown, he will be happy there. He ever loved beautiful things. And I, far more ignorant and blind by the web of mine own weaving, sit alone winding words and muttering, if still he be, and he be there, and there be a there, let him be happy or fate. Mm-hmm. I mean, there the the whole uh, the whole essay is is really a kind of pastoral elegy, um, and, and and that is supposed to take us to a moment of consolation. And but and what that paragraph emphasizes is that for Du Bois there can be no ultimate consolation, and he questions everything of a spiritual nature and a religious nature that that uh, that he has been you know offered in his life and that sits out there um, offered to people who are in similar distress if still he be if in fact this whole business of um, of an afterlife and a soul that survives the body and so well he's questioning that if still he be and he be there there if there is such a place as as heaven, and there be a there. Let him be happy, O fate, instead of O God, yeah. O fate, because uh, in his profound grief, his his his, 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 his whatever faith he had in, in religion and God, uh, just you know, just just evaporates. I, I also noticed that um, obviously the spirituals. Um, 
meant a great deal to him. And, and also, as you write, I mean, he grew up in New England, and, and that's, not, that's not the element of, his, of, his, of the background of his life. And he talked about the spirituals as this great gift um, of his race to humanity. But um, he, he also really focuses on the, the fact that they, were, that they were known as sorrow songs. I mean, he really... He really um, um, zeroes in on on that as part of that gift, not not allowing them to be romanticized or simplified, as I think maybe they became when they became part of mainstream American culture. Right. Um, one thing that one can say about about Du Bois's devotion to the sorrow songs and to the spirituals, and and he wrote really one of the very first uh, essays of a kind of quasi-scholarly nature on on the spirituals. He was one of the first people to to recognize uh, their you know their profound historical and cultural. Oh, importance. was he? I didn't realize that that he was one of the first. Um, uh-huh. But um, but the the flip side of that is that he um, he, he was completely deaf to you know to the uh, importance of of the blues uh, and uh, <laughs> of popular music um, because of his uh, I guess you. His high-toned education, if you like, or his huh. New Englandism, um, uh, and and that would come back to haunt him, I think, as he became, um, you know, more and more um, embroiled in in uh, the wars of of truth concerning uh, civil rights. Sometimes fighting other black leaders, uh, sometimes normally fighting the white world. Yeah. Um, is there any other are there any other readings that are especially important to you? Uh, well, uh, the the um, a litany of Atlanta um, mm. always strikes me as a as a, a, a document to uh, to remember, and and it, it <clears throat> just the title a litany of Atlanta um, yeah. reminds me how many of uh, of um, Du Bois's poetic pieces um, involve prayer in some way. A litany of Atlanta, a hymn to the people, Christ of the Andes, the prayer of the Bantu, the prayers of God. Mm. Um, and um, this is where it, the background in, in the case of, uh, of a litany of Atlanta is the Atlanta riot of 1906 when uh, Du Bois's very family and her home seem you know, threatened by mob, white mob violence. Um, and he is um, on a train going to Atlanta, not uh, not certain what he would find when he when he gets there. Um, and uh, you see him coming close to uh, a kind of ground zero in his uh, in his rage against the world and his questioning of God. We raise our shackled hands and charge thee, God, by the bones of our stolen fathers, by the tears of our dead mothers, by the very blood of thy crucified Christ. What meaneth this? Tell us the plan. Give us the sign. And he says something that is uh, almost unspeakable, really. Surely, too, uh, uh, surely thou, too, art not white, O Lord, <sighs> a pale, a bloodless, heartless thing. Hmm. And then he backs away from, as a poet, from, from the thought and pleads forgiveness for what he calls these wild, blasphemous words. Thou art still the god of our black fathers, and in thy soul's soul sit some dark, uh, some soft darkenings, some shadowing of the velvet night. But whisper, speak, call, great god, for thy silence is white terror to our heart. The way, O God, show us the way and point us the path. Um, and you see how again and again he wishes to believe. Uh, he wishes to see other people believe. Yeah. He glories in what he perceives as black spirituality. But the whole, the world is a conspiracy to negate uh, uh, that, um, you know, those feelings, those lo- lofty feelings. Um, that, uh, and um, and he is as as uh, caught up in 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 the destructive power of injustice, which is at war with his with the, all the finer aspects of his being, um, and he's he's always aware of that that he's being destroyed, 
um, by the you know by the factors and forces he is so able so 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 equipped well equipped to identify yes and he's he's so aware of the particularity of his experience but also and this is the poet this comes through in his, in him as a poet the the universality of his experience but but as you say he is distinctly equipped to give voice to this so powerfully Um, do you, um, we, we, we talked a minute ago about how, I mean, really he was, he was biracial. He wasn't just a black man. He was, he was biracial. And, uh, he When you say biracial. Well, I mean, he, he, he he had all, he, well, not biracial. He was, he was, but he, he had this European Lineage, oh, yes. right? Was, and I the think two he was sides. very proud of it, if yes. you ask me. <laughs> and the two <laughs> sides of his family were quite different. Um, right. The mother was, his mother was, uh, I guess, phenotypically African, and, um, and his uh, father was, was very light-skinned. Yeah. Right? Yes. And, and it seems that, I mean, we talked about this a minute ago, that he seems in some ways as much a figure of this era as of his. And in fa- he was also quite a global thinker and... I mean, he spent time in Berlin. He ended his life in Africa, in Ghana. Um, yes, he um, yeah. he very early in in his in his growing up life, he organized uh, Pan African congresses. So he he loved being in Europe. It was the first time he he felt like a human being. He said, yeah. um, uh, when he went off uh, as a graduate student at Harvard, he went off to study at the University of Berlin. Um, and just found um, found for the first time that people were taking him, meeting him, and greeting him, and engaging with him as a normal human being. And he spent two what he called wonderful years there, and even thought about staying there, uh, and perhaps marrying a European and settling down. But he he knew where his uh, destiny demanded that he um, go and. Um, and he writes very, you know, very bitterly that after two years of happiness in Europe, he dropped back into what he called nigger-hating America. Yeah. I, I guess what I started wondering while I was reading him is, um, you know, even the phrase the souls of black folk has a different, has different connotations. It, it, we think more globally now. I mean, even though his, so much of what he was writing about was the, were American circumstances. You know, if there's some, if if there's such a thing as the glo- globalization of the black experience in our time, as there seems to be globalization of everything, um, does Du Bois have something to say um, to this moment, to that dynamic? Well, I I would say absolutely so. I mean, he above almost anybody else among African American and American intellectuals worked overtime as it were, to locate the African-American experience in the context of the, of the greater world. You have, I mean, the, 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 the best example of that in his work, in some respects, is, um, is um, his novel, uh, Dark Princess, yeah. um, which, um, which puts a, a black man who resembles Du Bois in, in, uh, in, in several ways um, within the context of uh, Indian, Chinese, Japanese, and um, and and other peoples who are uh, uh, engaged in a, in 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 an analysis of um, of politics around the world, um, who are attempting to alter the historic um, structures of colonialism, and who wish to see um, a, a resurgence of. Uh, of what we call the the third world, or what we used to call the third world. Yeah. Um, so he sees he very early on he was an internationalist, no doubt about that. Well, I think even this very famous line of him, right? If, if anybody know anything of Du Bois, it may be this line that the problem of the twentieth century is the problem of the color line. But what he goes on to say is the relation of the darker to the lighter races of men in Asia and Africa, in America and the islands of the sea. So he was—he was not even in that line, just speaking of America. But I would—I would be curious about um, how you react to that statement of his now, and you know, is the problem of the 21st century the problem of the color line, or or how would you amend that, or how could you imagine he might amend that if you were with us now? Um, 
That's that's a very interesting question. I think he was uh, right on the mark when he said the problem of the 20th century is a problem of the color line. I always think that if you um, gently expand the, you know, the, the, the definition of, uh, of the color line to include uh, ethnicity, uh, to include uh, anti-Semitism, for example, mm. and you take into account uh, the Holocaust and um, and 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 uh, you know Nazi claims of um, of, uh, of white supremacy and so on, in addition to colonialism and uh, and, uh, and, tr- and traditional yeah. forms of racism, then definitely the 20th century uh, was dominated by. Um, by the the question of the of the color line, twenty yeah. um, first century, I don't, I'm not sure um, what the problem of the twenty first <laughs> century will be. Um, I don't think you could say it's the problem of the of the color line. Um, you could say that uh, that people who are calling in uh, seeing the United States as having moved beyond color and beyond racism um, are. Uh, extraordinarily short-sighted, mm-hmm. um, but uh, whether you can make the same claim for the entire world, I don't know. I mean, China is uh, is marching. It, India, Japan, you know, the, the countries right. that were right. suppressed in around 1900 are now um, now doing very well, thank you, and doing very badly, thank you, in some respects. What have I not asked about or mentioned that feels important to you in terms of? Um bringing Du Bois' thoughts and legacy into the present? Um, well, I think you've done a good, a good job. There is, um, there is you know, the question of, uh, of hatred, of uh, you know, the point at which um, indignation against racism so, uh, quote-unquote, sort of disfigures the, the personality or the soul uh, that... Um, you know that 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 we are now entered into a world of of hatred from which, um, you know, which we are taught uh, again and again in religion and elsewhere. You know, that is something to to absolutely avoid. I'm thinking of a of um, uh, a poem called "The Burden of Black Women," which is mm. was later retitled by Du Bois, "The Riddle of the Sphinx," um, where he expresses uh, an extraordinary bitterness towards the white world. Um, more so than in any thing he wrote in prose, I think. Uh, the will of the world, I'm quoting him there, calls the black woman to rise, but she is kept by, down by, quote, the white world's vermin and filth, all the dirt of London, all the scum of New York, valiant spoilers of women, bearing the white man's burden of liquor and lust and lies. I hate them, oh, I hate them well. I hate them, Christ, as I hate hell. If I were God, I'd sound their knell this day, exclamation mark. Um, I think that those were feelings that Du Bois wrestled with on a daily basis. In another in the context, it's called black rage or African-American rage, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the rage of, of, uh, of, uh, um, that he had to, had to deal with um, because he knew, I mean, it was one, in one sense justified, but also he knew that it had to be controlled and conquered uh, in, 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 in a substantial way if um, his humanity was to be preserved. And that's part of Du Bois' story. Well, I don't, he's, he's just like the psalmist in that way as well, though, right? I mean, there is this holy tradition of giving voice to that rage. Yes, yeah, quite true, <laughs> quite true. Um, you have a wonderful voice, by the way. You do. It's just oh, beautiful. To, I, I can't wait to put your voice on the radio. I'm, I'm being signaled from behind the glass. I know we want to finish in a minute. I'm being signaled. I think my producer wants to say something. Yes, Lily. I didn't find this way, so I apologize. Okay. 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 
Um, so just a, a couple more questions. I wonder if you could just say a little bit more about, you know, you talked about how um, you'd been exposed to so little in the way of black intellectual writing, even through um, your, in your scholarly, uh, in, in your early, edu- in your education, um, even in advanced education. And you read The Souls of Black Folk and Folks and you were, you were uh, blown away. Um, could you say a little bit more about what grabbed you there? No, oh, it's a good question. Um, you know, you begin to read uh, a book. Um, you don't know where it, it's going to take you. In this case, the souls of black folk. You uh, you start to read about an individual's um, engagement uh, with the world, his experience. Uh, you read, in a sense, it's it's autobiography, um, but it's an autobiography. Um, that's that's close in some respects to your own experience of the world um, as a minority person. Um, And then you see, in the case of the Souls of Black Folk, um, a a mind, a commanding mind, expanding into history, into sociology, uh, but also um, into uh, psychology um, and into art. Um, because he is continually seeing the world uh, both as a scientist and as a a, a, a lyrical mm-hmm. uh, uh, being and um, and giving voice yeah, in, a, in, in a very varied language um, to the complexity of the world. And, and you're seeing yourself and your own personal situation um, being, you know, being put in it in, in in the context you would like to see it see it put, um, you see, you see your own your own pain your own you know your own dilemmas orchestrated in this marvelous way um, by a, an intelligence that you know you just have to stand back and and admire and uh, and that you're profoundly grateful for um, because uh, you have not seen it done by anyone else and that's that's why. Um, I could I reread uh, the Souls of Black Folk again and again, and it continues to this day to be able to move me, as almost uh, as, as few other works can move me. Mm-hmm. And um, again, you've you've written biographies of a number of very important African American figures in American history: Langston Hughes, um, Ralph Ellison. Uh, was it Jackie Robinson? Did you write a biography of Jackie? I did Robinson, a biography right? of Jackie I, Robinson. I think Arthur yes. Ashe. You were involved in that. Um, yes. And and uh, so, but I wonder, and with with those figures and and other names who come readily to mind in in American imaginations, you know, what what would you want to name as as Du Bois' distinctive voice and contribution? Well, I I've I think that his. Um that he was extraordinarily intelligent, uh, but he was also very, very well trained, and he engaged the world um, as you know, as a historian and as a sociologist, um, always aware of a of a profound commitment to the um, to the lives of uh, of uh, his fellow Black Americans at a time, uh, say around 1900, uh, when they were in profound distress so there was always something heroic and and um, and persevering and determined um, to me about his his career his his example um, uh, Langston Hughes was um, relentless in his own way in trying to apply uh, his poetic gift to the world around him uh, but Du Bois was even more dedicated in many respects, hmm. um, and uh, uh, and harder on himself, um, uh, pushing, uh, probing at every point, willing to be a pariah finally, to be unpopular, um, in order to carry the the you know the the, the flag of justice um, uh, to the fore, to to um, to make his life. Be consequential, uh, and not an, an, an ornament or an, or an afterthought. So that remains for me, um, and that, that heroic uh, sacrificing 
aspect of uh, of Du Bois's life, in addition to his to the considerable gifts and and uh, training that he brought uh, to uh, to the whole business, um, that sets him apart or that set him apart as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, wonderful. I I wanted to ask you, and and this I think follows in a lovely way on what you just said, to read, I believe it's the the reading from him that you had at the very at the at the top of the first chapter, uh, chapter one, the making of the man of your biography, the the reading that begins oh. in the folds of this European civilization. I was born and shall die. Uh, what do you have a page number? There? Well, it's the first page in the it's it's page one in in. Uh, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> so it should enough. be page one, um, and I don't know where it's from. You said Du Bois, nineteen forty. Uh huh. Uh, that would be probably from from uh, Dusk of Dawn, his autobiography. Okay. If it's 1940. Yeah. Uh, do you have that with you? I'd, do, uh, do you the, have the, the biography with you? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Uh, wait a minute. Um, let me just see. I have the <clears throat> the Library of America edition, and I believe the. I'd love for, to have you read that if you have it there. Yes. Um, it's right at the top of the first chapter. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you want me to start? Just um, well, what I have here is just it's a short paragraph in the folds of this European civilization, oh, yes, yes. and then it I, oh, ends to the few right. who could or would listen. Uh-huh. Okay, this is uh, this is from the the text itself, not from my book. Yeah, right. Uh, in the folds of this European civilization, I was born and shall die, imprisoned, conditioned, depressed, exalted, and inspired. Integrally, a part of it, and yet much more significant, one of its rejected parts, one who expressed in life and action and made vocal to many a single whirlpool of social entanglement and inner psychological paradox, which always seemed to me more significant for the meaning of the world today than other similar and related problems. Oh, hello? Hello? Oh, good. I thought you went oh. away. Oh, I guess it goes on. Yes, yeah. it goes on. Does it, it um, crucified on the vast wheel of time? Is right. It? Okay, um, yeah. Uh, so... So the text, original text goes on. Mm-hmm. Little indeed did I do or could I conceivably have done to make this problem or to lose it. Crucified on the vast wheel of time, I flew round and round with the zeitgeist, waving my pen and lifting faint voices to explain, expound and exhort, to see, foresee and prophesy to the few who could or would listen. Thus very... Evidently to me and to others, I did little to create my day or greatly change it, but I did exemplify it, and thus for all time my life is significant for all lives of men. Mm, that's wonderful. Oh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, I wish I could, you know... Could, could have been more articulate, but uh, I, I think you were very not my, art- not my yeah. strength. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were you were wonderfully articulate, and um, and uh, I'm I'm just thrilled that we'll have your voice in this. I, I wanted to just some, this is doesn't really belong in the interview, but I was thinking when I was reading you about. Um, are you aware of who Walter Brueggemann is? He's a great. Um, He's a great scholar of the Hebrew, the prophets of the Hebrew Bible. No, I'm and he talked about. about how the prophets, <clears throat> the prophets are always poets, and it's with poetic language uh-huh. that they rise above the merely political and have something uh, other than merely political impact. And he talked about absolutely. how he says that, you know, the line we all remember of Martin Luther King is actually a line of poetry. I have a dream. Is actually a line yes. of poetry, um, and uh, I just a line of of Langston Hughes's poetry. <laughs> is it really? It's a line of Langston Hughes's poetry. Well, I think I mean Langston Hughes always believed that. I, I mean, didn't that, know uh, that. Well, well, because he had uh, had consistently invoked the motif of the dream uh, in his poetry, in his civil rights poetry. Um, so I he see. always felt that that uh, Martin Luther King <laughs> owed him one. <laughs> but, uh, but that's another story. Yeah. 
Okay. I don't know. I just, I just also felt like uh, I think I was surprised. You know, I probably read Du Bois in college, but just mm-hmm. the poetry, as you're saying, of his lyricism and how that just exalts and gives this power to what he's saying that's just very un- unusual. You see, and that was completely, almost completely left out of, uh, you know, accounts by historians yes. of uh, Du Bois's life and career. They, they just did not see it. Uh, they're not trained to, to, uh, to respond to, uh, to poetry, but uh, you're quite right. I mean, that it, it, is, it, in, it, is, it is in fact the poetic element in Du Bois that lifts him above uh, only history and mere you know, sociology to make him the the, the influential, uh, profoundly moving uh, presence that he became. Yeah. It's the poetry that, that, that did it. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much. We'll let you know what's happening with this when it will sure, be on the air sure. and there will be a well, website I... and uh, we're excited to All do right. this. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and uh, good luck with the um, with the whole program. It's thank exciting. You. I look forward to it. Okay, great. To it, even if I'm on the cutting floor. <laughs> <All right. laughs> A lot okay. of you will not be on the cutting floor. All right, thank you. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye.